you'd open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 47 for this morning's scripture text. I'll be reading Genesis chapter 47, verses 1 through 28. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the, day, in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Pharaoh and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes, for our money is gone? And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your lands for Pharaoh, now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own. As a seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, 
and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were one hundred forty-seven years. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if something's in the in the water here today or what, but uh, I'm kind of feeling a bit like Matt is today. I'm feeling a little bit emotional. I guess if you want to put a word on it, I I'm feeling a bit nostalgic. You know, I always feel nostalgic around this time of the year, this week in particular, because it was, uh, well, for a lot of years, my nostalgia had to do with the fact that it was this week, 12 years ago, that Jamie and Job and I moved here from Louisville, Kentucky, in response to um, your call to be your pastor. Uh, So 12 years ago this week, we were settling into a house that we had rented from the Jenkins in Arkport, and uh, I was arranging all of my boxes of books on the shelves in my office here, and my duties wouldn't start for another week. Uh, They were going to start officially on Easter Sunday, but for the time being, I was was enjoying my soft start, you know, like Billy Mumphrey. I was full of unbridled enthusiasm. Uh, a cockeyed optimist, some might say. But then two years ago, on this same week, something happened that, at least for the time being, overshadows the, the memory of that move and the start of my ministry. I'm talking, of course, about the events of, of this week in 2020. And unfortunately, those events, right now at least, loom a little bit larger than the events of this week in 2010. And it was two years ago that, uh, well, today, two years ago, we were all worshiping in our homes. We were locked down because of COVID. It had shut down our, not just our church, but all of society, it seems. And many of you right now at that time were watching the first of what would be many uh, horrible, in my view, uh, video sermons and I, re- I remember being on the extremely steep curve of learning how to record and edit and upload videos to YouTube and um, given the circumstances I, I took a, a break from our exposition of Acts back then to preach a special sermon from Hebrews chapter 2 to try to give us all some perspective of what was going on. It was a sermon called Crown Him with Many Coronas. And as I say, I've been feeling a little bit nostalgic this week, so I I went back um, on YouTube to check out that very first sermon. And it was, was, you know, pretty cringe. Um, It was amateur hour. I, I hate the sound of my own recorded voice. But it was also a little bit funny to me. I had to chuckle because at some point in the last two years, uh, YouTube became very concerned about the spread of misinformation on their platform. 
So they've, they've run some sort of script. I don't know how it works, but it identifies any video with COVID or Corona in the title or description, which my sermon certainly did. And then it, it automatically adds a, a sort of Surgeon General's warning to the lower third of that video uh, that they've identified. So that first sermon, that first video sermon from two years ago entitled Crown Him with Many Coronas is now plastered with a banner across the bottom that reads, get the latest information from the CDC about COVID-19. And then there's a button where you can click to, to learn more. And that's, that's just hilarious to me because obviously they were concerned that in that sermon I might have been, I don't know, extolling the virtues of ivermectin or something. If they actually watched the sermon, I don't know if their script runs that deeply, but if they actually watched the sermon, they would have discovered that I was, in fact, extolling the virtues of Christ. But whatever, whatever. We've got a, a big warning plastered to that video. But do you want to know what else is, is pretty funny? I actually clicked on it. I actually, I, I know it sounds crazy because for the better part of two years, we've been inundated with COVID facts. We, we couldn't avoid them if we tried but for the last month or so, it's, it's all just kind of disappeared. And we've all just moved on. You know, other things took, uh, bumped that out in the news cycle. Uh, we're talking now about inflation and gas prices and Ukraine. And I haven't heard boo about coronavirus in, I don't know, weeks. And this week, the thought actually occurred to me. Again, you, you might call me crazy, but I'm telling you the truth. It occurred to me. I thought, I wonder what the COVID numbers are right now. I thought, I need an update. I haven't had an update in a few weeks. And, and now I've got a handy shortcut to the latest CDC information about COVID. It's on the warning label of, of uh, the first video sermon. But, but that's how it goes, right? Life happens and even more important things get pushed into the background you know I feel like a lot of my conversations with friends with you are requests for updates that are embarrassingly long overdue so you hear me say things to you like this all the time it, it's like some I say hey whatever happened to so-and-so or this situation I'm thinking about people and situations that we've discussed that we've agonized over that we've prayed about but then that we've also somehow forgotten but then the Lord has graciously brought it back to mind again and now I desperately want an update well something similar is happening in Genesis chapter 47 we've seen the the big reveal We've seen Joseph reunited and reconciled with his brothers, his father. And life is now kind of moving on. They literally move on from Canaan to Egypt. That's the subject matter of the end of the previous chapter. 
and into this one. They're, they're moving on. And this passage provides us some very interesting details about uh, the family's audience before Pharaoh. Um, they're, they're settling in a particular region of Egypt. Um, their occupation, their, their growth as a family, and things of that nature. There's lots of details in this chapter about all of that stuff. And the danger is that attention to all of those details about life, ordinary life, it might cause us to forget something that is much more important. It might act, you know, unintentionally bump some of the more important stuff into the background and have us forget about some very important things in the book of Genesis. And I'm thinking in particular of the purposes and the promises of God. Let's not get bogged down in the details and so miss out on the big stuff, the important stuff, which is to track what's happening with the, the plan and the promises of God. Now, another reason why these most important things, the plan and the purposes of God, might easily fade into the background is because God's presence in these pages is more like a, a teenager's presence in your house than a young kid's. And, and here's what I mean by that. You know, you know if you're in a house with a young kid, there's no mistaking their presence, right? They're always right there in your face. You're always hearing them say things like, Dad, Dad, can you help me with this? Mom, Mom, can you play with me? It's just, there's no mistaking that you're in the house with your young kid. On the other hand, when you have a teenager in the house, you can go for long periods of time without even seeing them. You wonder, what on earth is that kid up to? Is he even here? And every once in a while, he or she, I'm not thinking about anyone in particular, every, every once in a while, he graces you with his presence, usually at mealtime, but then he uh, or she slinks back into the shadows. And I'm suggesting that the Lord's presence in these pages is much more like the teenagers than the young kids. Every so often, he reveals himself and, and speaks, like in visions of the night or at Bethel or the brook Jabbok. But for the most part, the Lord limits himself to the, to the very subtle, silent workings of his providence. Providence... Uh, is known down through church history as uh, the invisible hand. God is doing all of this very subtly, very quietly. And don't get me wrong, this, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing in its own right, to think about the, the silent hand, the invisible hand of providence. It's just that every once in a while, we are well overdue for an update about the status of God's promises and his purposes for his people. You just want to hear how, how is all of that going. And that's how I'd like for us to work through the passage this morning and the time that we have. We're, we'll certainly look at some of the details as we have the opportunity, the details about Israel's moving into Goshen. But we want to match these details with the plans and the promises of God to encourage ourselves a little bit 
by giving, you know, giving us uh, a glimpse and we want an update for ourselves to see where the status of God's plans are. And I believe it'll be encouraging. So think of it this way. We're going to play the YouTube video that is Genesis 47, the first 28 verses. We'll play that YouTube video, but we're going to be very aware the whole time that there's a message across the lower third of that video that basically says, get the latest information on the purposes and the promises of God. And there's a button that says, learn more. And that's, trust me, we'll, we'll be clicking that button. We're going to want to learn some more. So if you're taking notes, here are two headings under which we can organize our thoughts. We want to see what and who this passage describes as first the best of Egypt the best of Egypt and then who are the blessed in Egypt what is the best of Egypt and who are the blessed in Egypt first the best of Egypt so the very end of chapter 46 and the very beginning of chapter 47 are consumed with the audience that, you know, the audience with Pharaoh that these brothers are, are expected to make upon their arrival in Egypt. And in spite of how much this, how much favor this family would automatically have with Pharaoh, just based on their association with Joseph, who has, you know, by his foresight and wisdom and his administration has saved this whole country. Despite all of that, you're still talking about Pharaoh. You're still talking about the supreme ruler of the land. And you don't just waltz into his presence. You can see from the text that there's, there's actually a lot of preparation that went into this meeting. For example, Joseph selects five of his brothers to represent the whole clan. You know, you don't want to overwhelm the king by having a whole mass of foreigners standing there. And you certainly don't want the pharaoh to, to have it come into his mind and to entertain the, the possibility of a future in, in which these, these people are just multiplying and suddenly you've got foreign people who are able to com comprise an army in your country. So you go with a smaller size and we don't, we don't know which five brothers Joseph picked, but you have to believe it was a strategic choice. And you also have to believe that Joseph would have really prepped these five on the proper protocol for meeting an Egyptian dignitary. Think about it this way. If I ever had an opportunity to meet Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, um, my friend Bob doesn't think I pay enough homage to my motherland. So how about this? I, I'm relishing the opportunity of meeting Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. And if that was ever to happen, you, you better believe that I would study up on what is the proper protocol for interacting with a royal? I would probably get a call from someone on her staff uh, who would 
who would brief me on all of the things that I should say, and because it's me and they've researched me, they'll spend most of their time talking about the things I shouldn't say. Uh, they'll, they'll teach me the po proper postures. And if I didn't have all that very important information, no doubt I would pull a, a Mr. Bean. And uh, in my excitement, I would bow too low and end up headbutting the queen. Here's another social faux pas, as far as the king of Egypt is concerned. Having the occupation of a shepherd. You know, a bunch of us guys went to um, a men's conference in Buffalo yesterday, and it was great. We had a wonderful time together. And in our van on the way home, uh, one of Merrick's friends from up north, uh, he was telling us about the goat farm that he and his wife ran for a number of years, and you could just hear the joy and the pride in his voice as he was talking about his occupation and how interesting goats are, and, and it was very convincing. It, it wasn't so convincing that I ran out and got a goat, but I, I, was, I was swept into uh, this whole conversation about how amazing goats are, and of course, Rob Wilson didn't need any convincing. And those two guys were like connecting over their mutual love of caring for sheep and goats. Not everyone, it turns out, shares that same opinion. And Moses reports at the end of chapter 46 that, look there with me, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So these brothers had to be very careful about how they talked about their occupation to Pharaoh. Of course, they needed to be forthright and say, you know, that this has been a family business for gener uh, at least a couple of generations. But they don't, you don't want to make too much of that if the guy hates the occupation. But then back to the other hand, you, you want to speak enough about it that Pharaoh might think that it's wise for this particular family with this particular occupation to settle in a part of a land that was a little off the beaten path, you know, where they could get some distance, some separation from the Egyptians. It would have to be a fertile land. It, it would have to be able to support all of this livestock. And Joseph has a perfect spot in mind. It's an area of Egypt called Goshen, and we don't know exactly where that area is because that place name Goshen um, hasn't yet been attested in the literature of that time. Even the author here in, in Genesis calls it by an updated name for the sake of his audience. You can see that in verse 11. In verse 11, it's called the land of Ramses, who, who's a later pharaoh, and that helped identify it to Moses' audience. The best guess is that Goshen is a very lush area in Egypt's eastern delta, kind of in the area that the Nile would flood, or at least uh, be able to, you'd be able to irrigate from the Nile. So at the best of times, not so much for the next five years, but for the best of times, it would be a perfect area to support um, livestock and lots of it. Not to mention it would be an area that's very close to Joseph, uh, his base of operations, so that they could 
visit often and interact. Well, let me just tell you, the meeting with Pharaoh went very, very well. It turns out they had nothing to worry about. And far from being put off by their occupation, Pharaoh supports it, and right away he puts them in charge of his livestock. They're, 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 they've been now given custody and stewardship over the royal livestock. And I don't know if that's uh, ringing any bells for you, but that's a good sign of good things to come be because that's exactly how Joseph rose in Egypt, wasn't it? He, he was first put in charge of Potiphar's household, and then he was put in charge of the jail, and then he's put in charge of the whole famine crisis. And the, the brothers haven't even been in Egypt for a day, and already they're superintendents over Pharaoh's herds. That's, that's a good sign of things to come. So Pharaoh is very happy to grant their request, which according to Joseph's recommendation uh, is that these, this family would settle in the land of Goshen. And Goshen is described in verse 11 as the best of the land. This is prime real estate. And verse 11 is an echo of verse 5, where Pharaoh says to Joseph, settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, the land of Goshen. Now, just, I, I want to put this on the record. I completely disagree with many commentators who believe that by carefully crafted words and, and suggestions, really subtle suggestions, that Joseph is basically manipulating Pharaoh into giving his family the very best real estate. That's a common view, and I think that view is way off because this was Pharaoh's intention right from the very beginning. Do you remember this? As, as soon as he had heard that, that Joseph had a family and that that family had come to visit him, it was Pharaoh himself that invited them to Egypt. And he instructed them as follows. And this is as early as chapter 45, verse 18. Here's the instruction. If, it, if it's still on your page, you can glance over there. It says, take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. That's the plan from the very beginning. He says, I will give you the best of the land. The best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Do you hear it? That same phrase ringing out over and over. And then as a sort of down payment, you remember that Pharaoh sent wagons and donkeys that were loaded down with what? The good things of Egypt. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Let's just hit the more information button because here we can get a really good update as to what the Lord is doing. The phrase that occurs over and over here has for its root the Hebrew word tov. This phrase, the best of the land, the best of the land, it's translated the best, 
But literally, in the original language, it, it, it means from the good of the land. And, and I can see why translators made the choice to translate it best, because good sounds a little bit too mild for what uh, Pharaoh was proposing. But the downside is that we miss all of the connections that I think Moses wants us to make throughout the whole book of Genesis. That, that it might be easier for us to see if, if the constant refrain had the word good in it. And just think about how the book of Genesis begins. It begins with creation. And it begins with the Lord God making and filling the heavens and the earth. And what does he fill the heavens and the earth with? Goodness. Do you recall the repeated refrain in Genesis chapter 1? The chorus that comes at the end of every day of creation is, it was good. It was good. Behold, it was all very, very good. And then what do we have in Genesis 3? We have us, mankind, messing up all of that goodness. Genesis 3 features the introduction of badness and sin and disobedience and curse into the world. And what was the Lord's response to that? As you've, as you've been tracking through Genesis, just take a step back and think, what was the Lord's response to the badness that we made out of the goodness? Was it, was it like your mom's response, you know, when you're wrestling with your brother and you guys knock over the lamp and it smashes to smithereens? And your mom says, this is why we can't have nice stuff. Is that God's response? No, the Lord's response is to replace the bad with good. He, he's, he's, he's busy making all things new. He's forming a new people. And he's promising to bless this people and to bless the nations through them. He's proposing to do humanity eternal good. And then how, consider how Genesis ends. You're going to have to be here in a couple of weeks. I don't want to give it all away. Be here in a couple of weeks to see for yourself how Genesis ends. But here's the bottom line. Joseph will say to his brothers at the very end, you meant evil against me, but God meant good. Genesis begins with goodness. It ends with goodness. It's, this is a story, do you see, of God restoring the good, destroying the bad. This is the tale of the Tove, if you could put it that way. And, and not just Genesis, by the way. This is the whole storyline of the Bible. So what's the update here at the chapter 47 mark? Well, it's ringing out like a bell every time we read that Israel enjoys the best of the land. It's ringing out. It's good. It's good. It's all good. God is working good. Brothers and sisters, are you convinced of this yet in your own life? That God purposes everything in your life for your good and for his glory. Now, I, I realize that you may not be currently 
full of food, like these brothers. I realize that you might not be in prime real estate, settled into the Nile Delta. In fact, you might be in the middle of extraordinarily difficult circumstances. I, I understand that. And Jacob understands that, by the way. Listen to how he describes his life to Pharaoh in verse 9. He says, few and evil have been the days of my life. And you've got to know he's referencing the, the fact that he has known a great number of trials and heartaches and sorrows over the course of his life. But even as he's describing himself that way, do you see? God is pouring out goodness on him. He's, at, he's in the presence of the king who is commanding him to settle in the best land, who's already given him the best of Egypt. God is pouring out goodness on Jacob and his family. And he's pouring out goodness to you. Is that your testimony? Can you, can you say about the Lord that all your life, he, he's, all you've ever known is his goodness? Let me, let me Romans 8.28 you. And, not, and, and I don't want to do this in that trite, simplistic way, but in that deeply encouraging way. Know this, beloved, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Update, the Lord's purposes are doing very well. Thank you very much. And the proof of that is that his people are experiencing incredible goodness. Now let's turn briefly to our second and final point to see who are the blessed of Egypt. The, who are the blessed of Egypt? And first we'd have to say Pharaoh. Pharaoh is blessed. And this brings us to um, verses 7 to 10, where now it's Joseph, uh, Jacob's turn to stand before Pharaoh. And you notice that the tone changes a little bit. When the brothers, when these young bucks were in front of Pharaoh, there was a lot, they were deferential, they, they were, it, you, you saw the, the balance of power clearly in Pharaoh's favor, but now the tone changes. And this happens whenever you get a seasoned veteran on the scene. The dynamic changes, and, and we see that Pharaoh is actually deferential to Jacob. And part of this has to do with the fact that, you know, this is the Eastern tradition, which is that you always defer to the elderly. The elderly are afforded great respect and um, deference. You stand in the presence of the elderly. And, and so th there's some of that dynamic going on because this pharaoh, who, kn who knows how old he is, but he's nowhere near 130. And so he, in a sense, bows uh, to allow Jacob to have the prominence. And the most important thing that happens in their exchange was that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And I realized that that runs the risk of, you know, we run the risk of just reading over that and thinking it's basically just a greeting. But it's much more than just a greeting because Jacob is much more than just your average man. 
he is the inheritor of the promise of God, the blessings of God. And so when Jacob blesses, as we'll see, Lord willing, next week, that when Jacob blesses, he actually speaks uh, an effective word. He's speaking on behalf of God, and he's pronouncing God's benediction upon that person. And things are expected to happen. And what, what we see in his blessing, it's not just a single blessing, but it's a double blessing. Uh, we read that when Jacob stands before Pharaoh, he blesses him, and when he departs, he blesses him. So this, is, this double blessing is bookending this section, and it is highlighting the importance. Coming and going, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And we don't understand exactly what was the substance of this blessing. We have, we're, we're done one better than that. And that is we get to see what the substance of the blessing is. And that's what we have in verses 13 and following. You'll forgive me if I'm picking up the pace a little bit. Verses 13 and following, what do we have here? It's, the heading is Joseph in the famine. And this is not, let me just tell you right off the bat, this is not a, a big section, a description of Joseph's wisdom and his wise administration. This is not primarily a passage on how to run an economy, you know, either an austerity economy or just a, a, a regular economy. Although certainly there's some principles that you could extract what this is showing us, let me just come right to the point, this is demonstrating for us, it's allowing us to see it with our own eyes, that Jacob's blessing, with which he blessed Pharaoh, in the name of God, is all coming true. And so what we have here is a description of how the people from Egypt um, purchased food, and uh, first they used their money, of course, but then their money ran out, so they, purchased, so they sold their livestock, and they sold their livestock to Pharaoh. Joseph purchased the livestock for Pharaoh in exchange for grain. And then when the livestock, then they sold their land. And then the land all became Pharaoh's. Do you see what's happening? that all, all, of, all of the resources and the wealth are getting redirected towards Pharaoh. And when this comes hot off the heels of Jacob blessing Pharaoh, we're, we're given an update on the promises of God, aren't we? Because what did God say to Jacob and to Isaac and previously before them to Abraham? He said, I will bless those who bless you. This is the structure of this passage. We, we see um, the, the nation of Israel in its embryo form being blessed by Pharaoh. And now, in keeping with the promises of God, Pharaoh is going to be blessed because he has blessed his people. So this, this whole section, I don't know how it strikes you, but it reads, it reminded me of uh, when I was a kid and I played Monopoly, you know, with my siblings or my friends, you know, so you, you would, you'd play, you'd buy up all this property and you'd extend yourself way beyond 
uh, your limits, and then you'd get into some financial trouble towards the end of the game. So you ended up, you know, having to sell your sell off your houses and your hotels, and then you'd be making wheeling and dealing with your sister for uh, for her to buy some useless property for way more than it's worth. But then eventually that runs out, and I don't know how it went in your house. I don't think we ever got to this point, but I wouldn't put it past me offering to do chores for my sister, you know, just for a chance at Mediterranean Avenue or something. <laughs> this is how it works. And, and let me caution you not to read this with your modern 2022 ethics, okay? Because you'll read this, if you're a, if you're a woke person, You'll read this and you'll think that this is just despicable behavior for Joseph. Um, he's part of the, uh, the 1%. And then ter a terrible uh, thing for him to do to the people and, and that he would, he would allow them to enslave themselves at the end of all of this, that they would offer themselves in service in order that they might eat. And I don't want to get into all of this. Uh, thankfully, we don't have time to get into it. Uh, but even if, he, if we did, it's, it's dangerous territory. And I, I'm not ultimately afraid of that, but I, I want to just maybe leave you with a thought that you can stew on and think about in, in your own spare time, which is what if, what if, our American ideas in the year 2022 are actually the wrong ones. What, what, if, what if a people that were, that were more willing to offer themselves as servants than to expect just a, a, a free handout, what, what if they actually are more indicative of what the biblical principle is that those who don't work sh shouldn't eat. What if, what if, what if um, and then what if this? I mean, we, we don't want to talk about servanthood and slavery, but what about this instinct? The instinct that they, they have received. Basically, they say to Joseph, you've, you've saved us. Here's, here's, here's why their willingness to be servants to Pharaoh is no big deal. And not only that, but they seem almost grateful to do it in verse 25. They said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants of Pharaoh. How, how dare we come at them and say, how could you do that to yourselves? They ought to come at us and teach us something about the, the spirit of someone that has been radically saved, and not just from physical famine. Think about this. You've been saved from eternal damnation. Isn't, isn't the exact right response to offer yourself in willing service to the Savior? This is, isn't this the logic of Romans chapter 12, verse 1? 
in light of all of the glorious salvation that is outlined in those first 11 chapters, um, the Apostle Paul urges us to live our lives as living sacrifices because of the great mercy of God in Christ. This This is how, friends, we are called to live. Live as servants for the Most High God in light of the great salvation that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Pharaoh owns everything at the end of this chapter, not because he's a tyrant, but because he has been blessed by God, because he has blessed the people of God. So update, how are are the promises of God going? They're going very well. God has said, I will bless those who bless you, and now we see it happening in real time. Who else is the blessed in this passage? Well, it's Israel. It's this family. It's this blossoming nation. Read the summary here in verse 27. It says, they settled, they gained possessions, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Press the the button for more information. Get yourself an update on how the promises of God are going. They're going very, very well. God has promised to make Abraham and Isaac and Jacob into a great number of people. Innumerable people, actually, like the stars of the skies or the sands of the sea. And you could go back even further. What has God, what was the commission that God gave to uh, Adam and Eve as he placed them in the garden? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And in many respects, they failed to do that in a way that honored the Lord. And so the Lord is busy in the process of making a new humanity. And they will be fruitful and they will multiply greatly because of the blessing of God on their lives. The point, friends, and and we can wrap it up with this thought. The point is When God speaks, when God purposes, when God promises something, when God says something, you should have no doubt that it will happen. His promises will be fulfilled. And I trust that you will take great comfort from that because the fact of the matter is that he's made very great and precious promises to you. He's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. He's promised to sanctify you and to present you, not before Pharaoh, but before your bridegroom as a radiant bride, spotless and and pure. I know it might not look like that right now in your life, but but if you were to if you were to really, you know, press that button and look for an update, if you were really to think about it and see what God is doing in your life, you will conclude that he is busy about the process of sanctifying you and making you holy. He's he's carrying out everything that he says that he will do for you right now in your life. One day he will bring it all into full completion and fulfillment. And we look forward to that great day when Christ returns, when he brings us into a, a new heavens and a new earth. And we enjoy all of the best things of the land, all of the goodness that he has 
gracious to give us for all of eternity.